0: Uh, If you want to turn with me to Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 to 48. Uh, If you can choose your translation, I'm going to be reading from the NIV. Okay, Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 to 48. This is the reading of God's word. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, obviously, I'm very excited uh, to be gathered in person. Want to give a quick shout out to our amazing staff and volunteers uh, who were in this space often till midnight this week, getting the space set up for all of you. Uh, We are so grateful for them. And I think for everyone, it was kind of like, getting the muscle memory back you know there was a lot of muscle confusion happening and uh today we're actually going to launch a new sermon in light of all this muscle confusion called unlearn and relearn and this is going to be the sermon series we're going to be doing this summer and i would say that if there was a phrase uh that could capture this entire season it would be this phrase unlearn and relearn right uh unlearning old habits, unlearning old ways of being, uh, relearning how to live and how to raise a family and, and how, go, how to go to work in the midst of a global pandemic. You know, we've had to unlearn the way many of us have done church for our entire lives and essentially relearn how to be a community when we can't be physically present with one another. And I would say, uh, you know, in the same way, uh, all of us have to kind of do this whole cycle over again. Now that things are starting to open up again, you know that on June 15th, California is lifting all of its capacity limits, uh, lifting all of its restrictions. And so in some sense, we're going to have to go through this cycle of unlearning and relearning again. You know, like I still, um, I'm still, I'm an extrovert and I'm still awkward saying hello to people. I don't know if it should be a fist pump a hug, a handshake, um, it, I'm, uh, I'm unlearning and relearning constantly. You know, uh, like, I'm sorry right now in advance because I might be giving you some of, some of you guys, like, intense eye contact. And I don't, I don't mean to do that. It's just I don't know how to look at people in the eyes uh, anymore. I've been looking at a camera this entire time. But all of this kind of got me thinking, so much of what it means to be a follower of Jesus is also unlearning and relearning right? Discipleship we've talked about all the time at its core is more than just acquiring head knowledge. Discipleship is actually reverse engineering all the old habits, patterns of thinking, narratives, these things that we've adopted over the course of time, either consciously or subconsciously, and we don't even recognize it. And so each week this summer... We're actually going to look at one specific habit, one specific practice or pattern, and we're going to ask three questions. What is this thing we need to unlearn? What is the thing we need to relearn? And how does the gospel help us get there? Okay, really simple. Every week, um, we have our children joining us, which is awesome. We have our youth students joining us, which is awesome. Wanted to make it uh, as easy as possible for our entire family. So it's just going to be, what is the thing we need to unlearn? What is the thing we need to relearn? And how does the gospel help us get there? Now, today is kind of going to be a little bit more of an introduction to the series. And so uh, rather than unpack this passage um, verse by verse, as we usually do, um, I'm actually going to use this familiar text uh, from the Sermon on the Mount to more provide um, like a template or a framework for how to think about this pattern of unlearning and relearning. Because if you think about Jesus' life and ministry, that's basically all he was doing all the time. He was going around from place to place, basically helping people unlearn uh, the ways that they lived their lives, helping people unlearn habits that were destructive, and then helping them relearn a new way of life, a new way of being. You know, it's interesting, uh, in Christianity, there's often like a huge emphasis on conversion, Um, Sometimes when you go to different churches' websites, you'll see these are the number of people who were converted last year. And there's this huge emphasis on someone saying that sinner's prayer. You know, maybe you guys said it uh, in youth group at some point in your life. And then all of a sudden, right after you say that prayer, you're supposed to be a Christian. Well, uh, the reason why disillusionment happened is because you go to work on Monday morning and you realize nothing's that different from after you said the prayer you know, your coworker still annoys you. You're still very anxious about your finances. You're still fighting with your spouse. And you're like, I thought something was supposed to be different. And yet when we read the Bible, there's actually nothing in the Bible that even remotely implies that faith works like this. You know, faith is not a moment. It's not a singular, like, Uh, It's not just a singular decision. It's a way of life. It's a lifetime of learning, unlearning, and relearning. You know, it would be very foolish uh, to think that you are the way you are today by chance, that your uh, political preferences, uh, that the way you spend your time, the way you spend your money, uh, you know, that the the way you respond to conflict, the way you express your emotions, that these things are just things that you you had since you were born that this is just the way that you are no this is all learned behavior you have learned it from a lifetime of being in different spaces being a part of different communities for some of us it's learned from our families of origin for some of us it's learned uh, from our lived experiences for some it's learned from our culture the media And in some ways, every interaction, every conversation we have, you know, every community that we've been a part of, in some sense, is like a classroom for us. It's a classroom where we've been habituated to be a certain way, to make sense of the world in a certain way, to move through life a certain way. And, you know, uh, another way to put it is all of these things have helped us build habits that either harm us or habits that heal us. Right? And why I chose this particular passage from the Sermon on the Mount is that it represents this pattern of unlearning old habits and relearning new habits that I think was so characteristic of Jesus' life and ministry. If you notice how this text opens, Jesus says, You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Translation This is what the culture has taught you, this is what you have been habituated to believe. This is what the culture has rewarded you for. You have heard it said, right? And then he says, But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. He says, First, you need to unlearn these habits that will ultimately harm you. And then you have to listen to what I have to say and relearn new habits that will teach you a new way of being a new way of life that will bring true peace and true satisfaction to your souls and if you actually read through the entire sermon on the mount this is the pattern you have heard it said but i tell you you have heard it said this is what you've learned this is what you have to unlearn and now this is what we have to relearn right And so I want to use our text today to kind of zoom out and talk more generally about these learned habits that either harm us or heal us, that either move us toward Jesus or move us away from him. Okay, so if you're taking notes, uh, the first point I want to make is this. The habits that harm us are subtle. Okay, the habits that harm are subtle. When Jesus says, you have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, he's actually referencing a very popular Old Testament passage. It's a passage from Leviticus 19. And it's really interesting because why would Jesus reference a passage in scripture and say, you have to unlearn this? But if you actually go back to that passage in Leviticus, the passage doesn't say, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. It says, love your neighbor and don't hold a grudge against anyone. Okay, And what Jesus is trying to point out is, do you see how you've altered the word just a little bit? Do you see how you've made just a subtle modification for the things that I've taught you to do? And all of a sudden, you're living in a way that you think is good. You're living in a way that you think is actually honoring to God. You're living in a way where you actually feel like you're doing God's will. You fooled yourself into thinking you're following me. When we read the story of the golden calf in Exodus 32, um, a lot of people believe that the story of the golden calf is the Israelites worshiping false gods. And that's not actually true. If you go back and read that story, uh, the story of the golden calf is uh, Israelite, the Israelites actually think they're worshiping Yahweh. They create this golden calf and it says, behold, this is the God, this is the God who delivered you out of Egypt. So this whole time, the Israelites think they're worshiping God, and instead, they're worshiping that God falsely. And a lot of times, this is the way that these are the things that we have to unlearn. They're not things that are blatantly harmful. Sometimes these are the things that actually come from good intentions. Sometimes these are the things that come directly out of our understanding of Scripture. Let me give you one quick example And I'm not going to talk too much about this because there's going to be actually a sermon on this. But think about the way that we overwork ourselves. You know, when we think about people who just, uh, you know, all they do, their life, they eat, sleep and breathe work. If you were to actually ask them, why do you work so hard? You know what they would say? I guarantee you they would say, well, I got to provide for my family. I work so hard because, you know, I got to make these sacrifices uh, if I want to give my kids, if I want to give my parents the things that we never had growing up, if I want to give the people that I love the things that I always wanted but never could have. And, and a lot of times we justify certain habits by saying, these are good things. Why wouldn't we want to do this? But you see, the irony is that oftentimes these things that we think are so good We end up actually neglecting the very people that we're doing these things for you see the habits that harm us are often so subtle and it's our way of having our cake and eating it eating it too we can feel like we're following jesus even though we're not really following him okay number two so number one habits that harm us are subtle but number two the habits that heal us are also subtle okay what do i mean by this Uh, In the same way that we often don't recognize when certain habits and practices are pulling us away from the heart of God, we also don't actually always see the immediate benefits of living in the way of Jesus. In fact, sometimes living in the way of Jesus makes our lives more difficult and more complicated, right? Uh, Notice when Jesus tells his followers here to love their enemies and pray for those who persecute them. He doesn't say, do this, because you're going to get something really great in return. He doesn't say, do this, because your life is going to get easier. No, he says, do this so that you are children of your Father in heaven. The New Living Translation puts it like this. In this way, you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. In other words when we start to incorporate the habits in our lives that heal us, you're not doing something to get something in return. You're doing something because you already have it. You're not doing something in order to get a heavenly father. You're doing something, you're living a certain way because you already have a heavenly father. Um, You know, it's true in some sense now, but I would say especially back then, um, having a father... You know, being a child to a father was so much more than, uh, you know, a name on a birth certificate or a feeling. Being a child to a father uh, wasn't just an identity. It was a behavior. It was an activity. It was a way of life. So if your father was a carpenter, you were going to be a carpenter. And it wasn't just that you were a carpenter at birth. You were actually brought into a certain way of living. You were educated into certain habits. Your father taught you how to do things. Everything you did, you actually watched your father do them. And you were habituated to become a carpenter. You were habituated to take over the family business. And so when Jesus says, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly father is perfect, he's not saying you're going to be perfect today. The moment you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're going to be perfect today. He's not saying that. He's actually saying, as you do as I do, as you come into this way of life that I offer to you, you're going to discover what it means to be fully human. You're going to discover what it means to be perfect, meaning there's no extra prize you get for loving your enemies and praying for them. You already have the prize. You're my child you're accepted, you're loved, you already have that, you've already been given all that you could ever ask for just by virtue of being my son or my daughter, so you love your enemies and pray for them not to get something from me, you do it because that's what my children do. Um, you know, whenever uh, our friends watch our kids for us, uh, we you know when we drop them off, um, we always give our kids like a rundown, okay? So um, don't ask them for anything. Um, don't be rude. It's not your house. Um, you know, don't tell them to buy you. Don't tell them you want something. Don't even say you like something, okay? Um, these are the rules. And a lot of times, they'll ask us, if we do all that, what do we get? And we're like, you get nothing. You know, that's what civilized children do, right? You go there and you act like you were raised by good parents, okay? You act like you were raised by civilized parents. And oftentimes, you see, when we begin to replace habits that harm us with habits that heal us, sometimes we get into this mode where we feel like now we're entitled to something from God. When we start to incorporate uh, reading the word, when we start to incorporate Sabbath, when we start to do spiritual things, sometimes there is a sense in which we say, well, now that we're doing all these holy things, God should bless us, right? Um, Let's say today you're here and you're navigating some, uh, some challenging circumstances, maybe loss of job, maybe loss of a relationship. And maybe after this service, you go home and you make a commitment. You say, you know what? Things are rough. And so Monday morning, I'm going to wake up and instead of grabbing my phone and going down the rabbit hole of social media, uh, tomorrow, I'm just going to read some scripture. I'm going to start the day off with prayer. And let's say that you're like that, you know, you do that tomorrow and that felt pretty good. And then you do it Tuesday. You do it Wednesday. Wednesday. You keep it going for a month, two months, five months. As, as, as hard as this is to say, there's a very high likelihood that after five months, after a year, after two years, your circumstances will not have changed at all. And I think sometimes the tendency and the temptation is to say, what was the point of praying? What was the point of doing any of these things? if ultimately I wasn't going to get something in return. And you see the danger of that? There is a sense in which we feel like we can earn God's favor because what we're saying is, if we do this, then God should bless me with this. And what Jesus is saying here is, you already have my favor. You're already a child of God. What you have to do is just live like you know that. The prize is that you're my child because often the way God heals us is not by giving us the things we want. The way God heals us is by drawing us deeper into his presence. One of my favorite verses in all of the Bible is from John 15 when Jesus says, when Jesus says, abide in me and I in you. That's the only promise he gives. If you abide in me, if you habituate your life to be with me, to spend time with me, to create intentional space for me. I will abide in you. Now, like I said, um, you're not always going to understand the purpose of some of the habits and practices we're going to cover over the next couple of months. Some of them are going to be so countercultural and so ridiculous. Like, we're going to look at the habit of rest. I don't think there's anything more countercultural to the culture that we live in than rest. And I can tell you that as someone in ministry who has a hard time with rest. Because in our culture, you are rewarded for being overproductive. You are rewarded for sending emails at 2 a.m. and 4 a.m. and 6 a.m., right? But some of the th- some of these things we're going to start to incorporate in our lives, and we're just going to have to trust that at some point, Jesus is going to be true to his promises. You know, I've been wanting to use a... Um, like a Karate Kid illustration for a long time, because um, I, I love this show called Cobra Kai, and um, I was really sad because uh, there's a Gen Zer at our church. Uh, I'm not gonna name her because uh, you know I was very disappointed. But I I, I asked her like, has like, hey, you know, you know what Karate Kid is, right? And she was like, oh yeah, 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 with Jaden Smith. And I was like, oh my gosh, like this is so sad. Um, uh, For those of you who don't know, who are under the age of, I guess, 25, Karate Kid was like my childhood, and there was, uh, you know, you had Daniel-san and Mr. Miyagi, okay, and this was the OG Karate Kid, and the whole, like, you know, Mr. Miyagi was this, like, um, guru, and the way that he trained Daniel-san was that he trained him in all these unconventional ways. Right, and it was so strange because um, you know he Daniel San came and he thought he was gonna be like learning karate, but he comes and Mr Miyagi's like, "Go wash my car," and he's like, "What do you want me to do?" He says, "Wax on, wax off, wax on, wax off," and he's pissed the entire time. He's like, "This is so dumb. I don't know what I'm doing." And then, you know, obviously the, you know, the bad guys come and, you know, they start punching. He's like, wax on, wax off. He's like, what the heck is happening right now? How do I know how to do all these things, right? And a lot of times the way that we incorporate and way that we relearn these habits, because they're so subtle, uh, a lot of times we don't know in the moment what they're doing to our souls. You're not going to see the immediate Fruits, you're not going to see the results right away, but a lot of times you will see the results when things like 2020 and 2021 show up. When things like a family member getting sick shows up. When marital problems show up. When unemployment shows up. When loss shows up, all of a sudden, these habits that you've begun to incorporate into your life, these habits and narratives and patterns of thinking that you've adopted, that you've trusted Jesus with, all of a sudden, you're like, oh my goodness, I'm such a more resilient, I'm such a more empathetic, compassionate person than I would ever have dreamed of, and it's really because they've been habituated into your way of being, into your way of life. Okay, which brings me to the final point. So number one, habits that harm us are subtle. Number two, habits that heal us are subtle. But finally, our habits form our loves. Uh, If you want to know what a person loves, all you have to do is look at their habits. Honestly, a person can say, I love something. Go through and look at their habits, and you will know if they actually love that thing. Um, James Smith, uh, he's one of my favorite authors. In his book, You Are What You Love, he writes this. The orientation of the heart happens from the bottom up through the formation of our habits of desire. Learning to love takes practice. Learning to love anything takes practice. I don't know anybody who learned to love exercise on the first day. Learning to love exercise takes practice practice. Learning to love your spouse takes practice. Learning to love your community takes practice. Our habits and patterns of life are always aiming our hearts at something. Today, uh, if I were to ask every person in this room, do you love Jesus? Uh, And if I were to say, like, really ask yourself that, do you love Jesus? I think that'd be kind of a hard and and weird question to answer. I think we'd be like, I think so. But but I think a better question maybe to ask would be, uh, what are your habits? What does your daily life look like? How do you spend all your time? How do you spend your resources? How do you spend your money? And I bet you that at the end of that, you will know who you love. You will know. What it is you love. Do you love Jesus? Do you love work? Do you love Jesus? Do you love a relationship? Do you love Jesus? Or do you love success, wealth, and fame? Now, obviously, like I said, relearning is not something that happens overnight. You know, you know the saying, old habits die hard. But what Jesus is saying here is, if you trust me and do these things, I will teach you a better way to live. Well, how do we trust him? And it's really interesting. Notice what Jesus says in our text. Right after he tells his followers what they need to do, he says, love your enemies and pray for them. Notice what he says next. He says, that you may be children of your father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. The first thing Jesus does isn't, you need to pray for your enemies because that's the right and moral thing to do. No. He says, you need to pray and love your enemy, pray for and love your enemies because look at your father. He says, look at your father's habits and you will know who he loves. And it says, he he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. In other words, Jesus is saying... You worship a God who does does not withhold the warmth of the sun, the blessing of rain from both the good and the bad. So how could you possibly, as his children, withhold love, withhold your prayers, withhold grace from your enemies? He's saying, do you know who you worship? And I would say, if we don't, It's probably because we've forgotten that we too were once God's enemies. Romans 5.10 says, For if while we were God's enemies we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? While we were God's enemies, Christ died for us. You know, when Jesus is talking to his followers here and he's talking about uh Loving, his en- loving their enemies, praying for those who persecute them. And even when he gives the example and he points to the father and he says, look at, look at this father that, that, that gives the son to both the good and the bad, that gives the rain to both the good and the bad. I'm sure his disciples kind of get it, but they don't really get it. And so what Jesus has to do is that he has to model this exact thing himself because in just a short while, we know that Jesus is going to go to the cross and he's going to do the very thing he's been telling his followers to do this entire time. Because on the cross, Jesus, who was beaten to a pulp, who had a crown of thorns put on his head, for the people who were his enemies, who crucified him there, he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He does and he models the very thing he tells his disciples to do. He says, follow me and watch what I do. I'm going to go to this cross and I'm going to love my enemies and I'm going to plead to the Father on behalf of them. You see, only when we begin to grasp this, when we begin to see a Jesus who gives his life for his enemies, for you and for me, Only then can we learn to do the same. You see, the way we relearn the way of Jesus is never by our own strength. So the one danger of this entire sermon series is that because we're going to look at different habits and practices and patterns of thinking, the one danger is that we're going to say, okay, I'm going to stop doing this and I'm going to start doing this. And it's going to to become about us the things that we can do, but what we see in this text is that the way we relearn the way of Jesus is not by our own effort. There is effort involved, don't get me wrong, but even that effort is a gift of God's grace. The way that we relearn the way of Jesus is to reorient our hearts over and over again to the gospel that is the source of our relearning. That each week as we come together And as we're in the process of unlearning and relearning how to become a community, that as we rehearse the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that we would not only find the model for the things we need to relearn, but we would also find the very means to relearn it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Uh, We thank you for uh, this space. We thank you uh, for uh, the gift of being able to be gathered as your community, as your body. Uh, We're reminded today of just how important embodied presence is. And like everything else, this is one of those habits and practices that you've given to us as grace, that we might know you more fully that we might be able to experience the gospel more fully with our fellow brothers and sisters. We pray for all those who are continuing to worship with us at home. We pray for all those who are not even in this city who are tuning in. We pray that as we journey together this summer, as we begin to understand and recapture the way of Jesus as a way of life, we ask for your grace. We ask for your grace to sustain us. And Lord, we, we realize even today that as we sit here receiving your word, we realize even the fact that we're here, even the fact that this church has gathered, all of this is a gift of your marvelous grace. And so we thank you, Lord. We thank you that the same grace that you showed us on the cross is the same grace that sustained us during the pandemic and now is the same grace that is with us as we open this next chapter at Citizens. We thank you for who you are. We pray all this in your son's precious name. Amen.